0: How's life going? I wonder how you went. Uh, some of you might have just met the person next to you for the first time, so you might not have delved into the deepest things of your life. But I do wonder how honest you actually really were. When someone asks you, how is life going? Um, do we just want to say good and kind of are a bit stoic about the whole thing, not really share um, the hard things in our life? Uh, Or are we open to really wrestling with pain and suffering and some of the difficult things that can happen in our life? A lot of people uh, lately have been asking me, Steve, how are you going? Uh, I know that we've just had a little baby, and to be honest, going pretty well. A little bit tired, but pretty excited, pretty thankful uh, for our new little baby, Georgia. Uh, It's wonderful to have this gift of love. But I will say, if you were here about three years ago, and you asked me that same question, and I would have answered really differently. Uh, This time, about three years ago, my wife was pregnant with a baby, and that baby died in the womb. Uh, We never got to take that baby home. Uh, That was an incredibly difficult time for us. Uh, And it still brings back pretty raw emotion, just talking about it now. Uh, We never got to see him like we see Georgia. And, and, And I think that... We actually all go through these times, don't we? Sometimes life is amazing, and sometimes life is just really hard. And that's what we want to wrestle with today. Why is that the case? Why is it sometimes, you know, we're we just kind of soaring and cruising and everything seems alright, and then other times we go through these periods where it's just really hard, and, and, and sometimes really hard to trust God. Uh, I imagine, I was talking to someone this morning, and I said, you know, it's not just people who are further on in years who go through these experiences. Uh, we can be 18, 19, and have gone through the ups and downs of life. And I'm sure that many of you have. And so tonight I want to ask the question, why is this? Why is the world like it is? And I want to kind of be pretty sensitive as I do that. Uh, why do we have these ups and downs? Why do we have sickness? Why do we have pain? Why do we have cancer? Why do we have depression? Why do we have addiction? Why do we have divorce? Why do we have death? You know, if God is so good, some people might say, then why do we have such bad things? Is it that God's not loving? Is it that God's not powerful? Or is something else going on? When those trials come in our life, uh, there's experiences... Uh, sometimes, I've done this, I think we rightly can kind of scream out to God. And we can say, God, why? Why? Where are you in all of this? And the Bible, I hope you know, says that that's totally okay. If you're in a place that's really difficult at the moment, can I encourage you to scream out at God and ask Him why? The worst thing to do is to not talk to Him, to leave Him alone. Uh, The best thing is to talk to him. The Bible actually says that we are not to be stoic about our feelings. That we're not to kind of just never talking uh, about suffering. The Bible is actually really real about the ups and downs of our life. Uh, It never says just get over it and move on, like sometimes I know us Aussie blokes kind of like to do. Uh, No, when you open up the Bible, you actually see hundreds of examples Of people who cry out to God in their pain. They say, Where are you, God? Uh, One example I'll stick up on the screen is this. From Psalm twenty two, this is King David's words, the words of, of God's King. He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my words of from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day. But you do not answer by night, and I find no rest. This is King David, uh, the, the great king, and, and, and do you know what response he gets from God in his suffering? He cries out to him, silence, silence, no answer. Where are you, God, he saying, and God seems to not answer. The story of Job in the Bible is quite similar. If you know the story of Job, you'd know that he was a man who had a lot of good things going on in his life. But through a series of events, he lost them all. He went through terrible suffering. He lost his, his children, he had an accident, his health was really crippled, he lost his livelihood. And the book of Job in the Old Testament is pretty much 37 chapters of Job calling out to God, why? where are you, God, in all of this? And for 37 chapters, God was silent to jump. No answer. But I wonder if maybe that's your experience of suffering. Maybe you've been hurting deeply and you've cried out to God and you've thought, he's not saying anything. There's just silence. What do you do with that? What do you do when God doesn't seem to answer? When he doesn't just kind of say, here's the reason for why this is going on. What do you do with that? Many people, I think, can actually start to wonder, well, is God really there? Is he even there at all? Because he seems, well, really distant. Just take this example uh, of a New York firefighter uh, after the September 11th, Explosions and those plane crashes. This is what he says. It says, In September 11, we lost four guys from our department. One of them was my cousin Jimmy. He was my best friend. Best fireman I ever worked with. Good family man, dedicated American. And every day I got to drive to work, drive through my neighborhood, and I see guys, drunken fools, that I went to school with standing on the corner, high, having a great time. And I gotta wonder why these idiots are still walking around when Jimmy O'Keefe isn't. My cousin says it's all part of God's plan. Well, you know what? If there is a God, he's got a whole lot of explaining to it. This is a, an interview with a fireman who was there at September Eleven. If there is a God, if he's even there, then he's got some explaining to do. So some of us, I think, when we go through suffering, we might come to the conclusion that it would be better to conclude that God's not really there. Just to kind of rule God out of the picture altogether. Life's too hard. So we'll either blame him or get rid of him. Let's just conclude that God doesn't exist. But actually what I say to you guys today, that if you do that, if you kind of put God out of the picture then you're still actually left with suffering, aren't you? You haven't solved anything just to get God out of the picture. Like that fireman, you're still left with injustice. Just removing God from the picture doesn't actually solve anything. In fact, I think, to remove God from the picture, uh, we actually see it imagined in the Bible in one case. And we actually see there that it actually means that something is worse. Let me show you, have a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 16. In this verse, it's on the screen, the author just kind of leaves God out of the picture for a moment. It's a bit of a thought experiment. And he looks at the world as he sees it, and what he says is this, he concludes that if there is no God, then in the end, there can be no justice for all. He says this, When I looked at all things under the sun, in the place of judgment, I saw only wickedness. And in the place of justice, wickedness was there again. See, do you see that removing God is not actually the answer to suffering? It's not the answer because we all actually deep down want justice, don't we? That's actually why we cry out to God. Because we want an answer to our pain. We, we want something. We want wrongs to be made right. We want justice. I don't know if you guys have ever read about the Dunblane massacre in 1996. Uh, it was a terrible event. Uh, there was a man there. His name was uh, Thomas Hilton. Uh, over in Scotland. And that man walked into a classroom. He shot 16 children. And then he shot himself. And do you know what the outcry was at that moment? It was this. It was that there will never be justice. Justice will never be done because, well, you can't lock up a dead guy and punish him. There will be no justice. See, if you remove God from the picture completely, then there can be no final justice. That man would never be held accountable For the horrible things that he did. Without God, then that's true, isn't it? He'll never get punished. He'll never get, there will be no justice. See, friends, if God doesn't exist, then there is no hope for justice in the end. There will be no righting of wrongs. There will be no final explanation. If death is the end, if that's it, if there's no God, if there's no afterlife, if there's no one to whom we're ultimately accountable in the end, then there can be no justice. And in fact, I think if you just take that thought a little bit further, you actually see that the logical conclusion of taking God out of the picture is that, well, we humans are just like the animals, aren't we? We kind of live, we suffer, we die. There's no explanation. That's just, that's how it is, on and on, there's no accountability. That's actually the logical conclusion when you take God out of the picture, that we're just like the animals. But I want to ask you this question. If we were all just like the animals, then why do we feel so deeply about suffering? Why is it, why do we cry out about these horrible things that we see and the the things that we experience ourselves? Uh, I assume that most of us have watched some David Attenborough in our day. Uh, you've probably seen those scenes where the lion or the cheetah is chasing the gazelle and it pulls it down and tackles it and kills it. And what do we think? It's just totally natural. But what about when humans do that to each other? Do we conclude that that's natural? We can't, can we? We know deep down that human life is more precious than that. That to have those horrible events that we've seen in world history, events like Dunblane, Manhattan, Bali, Auschwitz, Cambodia, Syria, all these events, we cry out against them because we know that human life is different. We can't just celebrate the survival of the fittest. That's not how we've been created. We can't do that, because God has actually created us as humans in his image. The book of Ecclesiastes says that in our hearts, God has planted eternity. We know that we are made for more than just suffering and then death. We're made for God. And friends, that's why we need to leave God in the picture. Taking him out of the picture, uh, we actually end up with something worse than suffering, don't we? We end up with meaningless suffering. We end up with injustice unexplained forever. No hope for justice, no future, no no ultimate end where wrongs are made right. That's what happens if you just remove God from the picture. But the Bible says, Hebrews 9.27 Man is destined to die once and then face judgment. Each one of us We'll give an account to God in the end for the way that we've lived our life. There will be justice because the God of the Bible is a God of justice. So to move on, if God is in the picture, if God is there, then what does suffering say if God is there? Does it just mean that, well, maybe God doesn't really care about us, that he hasn't done something to stop All the tragedies in our life, that's some of the thoughts that I've had in my past. I've wondered, God, why didn't you just stop that from happening? God, surely if you really cared for me, then you wouldn't have let that happen. Or you would have given me this, or you would have done that. We cry out like that, don't we? Well, what does the Bible say about that question? Does God really care about us? Well, I think to answer that question, the Bible says, if you want to know if God cares about you, then look at the person of Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at God's Son and see what he's like. See what he's done for you. See Jesus, when he began his ministry, uh, at about the age of 30, uh, there was a moment in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, you can look it up later, Jesus declared stood up in front of a crowd of people and declared exactly what he was going to do with his life. Uh, He stood up and he said this, he said, I've come to bring God's favour. I've come to bring God's care, God's love to the world. To bring God's favour. That was Jesus' mission statement. That's what he came to do. And when you actually start reading through those biographies of Jesus, those gospels, you pick up the Gospel of Luke, for instance, and what do you see? You actually see that that's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus, wherever he goes, he, he starts to show God's favour to people. He starts to, 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 to show how God cares for people. Uh, you just you start reading through a Gospel, and you see that everywhere Jesus went, he relieved suffering. Uh, he healed people. He met sick people and brought them back to health. He met blind people and they could see. He, he even met dead people and he brought them back to life. It's amazing. Jesus actually, when he was on earth, did these things that we want God to do. He kind of fixed the circumstances in people's lives. But it's interesting though because Jesus actually didn't keep doing that for a while. No, you keep reading through the Gospels and what you see is that Jesus himself knew that just fixing the circumstances of our life would never be enough. He knew that there was a bigger problem, a greater suffering that we actually needed fixed for us. And that's why when you keep reading through the Gospels you see that Jesus himself goes willingly and he suffers and he dies on the cross. In that reading we had earlier, that's exactly what we saw. Jesus, nailed to a cross, suffering like a criminal. And he suffered, do you remember? Because he was innocent. The innocent one suffered. Not because he did anything wrong, not because he was a criminal, but he went there willingly. And as he suffered, do you remember what he said to that criminal who was suffering? He said, truly, truly, I say to you, today, you'll be with me in paradise. It's incredible, actually. As Jesus is suffering, he makes this promise to someone that they will suffer no longer if they trust in him. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. I don't know what you think about when you think about the word paradise. Maybe just think about that for a moment. A little mental picture, what do you think about? Palm trees maybe a beach, maybe some beautiful outdoor nature reserve, something like that. If you do, there's good reason for that. Because in the original language of the Bible, the word paradise and garden are actually exactly the same. Same word, paradise and garden. And so that's really significant. What Jesus is saying here, when he says to this thief, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise, he's actually saying to this sinful guy, who deserves to suffer. He's saying, you can be in a place just like Eden, The place where there was no suffering, if you remember right back to the beginning of the Bible. Jesus is promising here what Adam and Eve, our first ancestors, lost. See, paradise. Paradise is actually so unlike this world that we live in. We have no idea what paradise is really like. No more tears, no more suffering, no more pain, no more sickness, no more death. That's the kind of thing that Jesus is talking about when he says paradise. And it's actually the opening chapters of the Bible where we see that God actually created humankind to live in that paradise. Adam and Eve, the first people, were given that paradise. But they lost it. Because they failed to trust God. Because they sinned. You remember the story, I'm sure? God made a beautiful garden. Put the first people in it. And he said, enjoy it. This is good. Look at those fruit trees. Look at those rivers. Go for a swim. Have kids. It's going to be great. And they just enjoy it. Just one thing, don't eat from that tree over there, then I'll know that you trust me, and I'll know that you're you know, submitting to me as king. What do they do? They said, no God, we want to be king of our lives, we're going to go and eat from that tree. They disobeyed God. They didn't trust him. In effect, they were saying to God, God, we want to rule our lives. We want to run life ourselves. We don't want you being the boss over us. So back off, rack off, let us live by ourselves. And God, do you see, because he's is God of justice, he actually gave them exactly what they asked for. God, who is the source of life and everything good, he said, you've asked for me not to be in your life anymore. So you'll have to leave paradise. And away from God, away from the source of life and everything good, outside of the garden, Genesis chapter 3, starts to explain that everything turns bad. For the first time, people started to get sick. Because they were separated from God and His good blessings. For the first time, people got old, people died, people got blind, people cried, people, all sorts of suffering. The reason suffering exists, you see, is because we are out of right relationship with God. Because humanity has sinned. And we are separated from Him. We're not in paradise anymore. And you know, just like Adam and Eve, when we're honest, we're kind of the same, aren't we? We've sinned. There's been times in our life when we've told God to rack off. We don't want Him to be the boss over our life. We want to do it our way. And when we do, we actually cause destruction. Uh, It seems to me that much of the suffering in our world is actually attributed to the way people don't acknowledge God. People rebel against God in our world. So I mean, just think about war, for instance. How does war and the horrors, the suffering that goes on with war, how does that play with us? Well, don't you reckon if we loved people, if we forgave people like God wanted us to, like he calls us to in the Bible, Maybe we wouldn't have war with that suffering. What about famine? Do you know the reason that we have so much poverty and famine in our world? It's not because there's not enough food in the world to go around. It's because as a global community, we don't know how to share it. We're selfish, we're greedy, instead of loving other people. That's why that suffering happens. Because we fail to love, like God calls us. We love ourselves first. But Jesus, you know, he was uniquely different at this point. Jesus always trusted God. He never sinned. He was the perfect human, and so he didn't deserve God's punishment, that being separated from him. Jesus deserved paradise, not punishment. And yet he went to that cross and he suffered. Why? Why did Jesus go well the answer is so that we could have paradise back so we could have a second chance so that we could come back in because he has made the way he has atoned for our sin he's paid for it by his death Jesus went to that see, to actually free us from the ultimate suffering the suffering that we deserve for our sin the suffering of being forsaken by God for eternity Jesus, when he dies on that cross, he says, you can be protected from that suffering because I'm dying for you. It's incredible. Uh, There's an old Scottish pastor, he writes these words about what Jesus went through on the cross for us. He says, Jesus on the cross was without any comforts of God. He had no feeling that God loved him, no feeling that God pitied him, No feeling that God supported him. God was his son before, and now that son became all darkness. He was without God. He was as if he had no God. All that God had been to him before was now taken from him now. He was godless. Deprived of his God, he became the condemned. Ah, this is the hell which Christ suffered. The ocean of Christ's sufferings is unfathomable. He was forsaken in the place of sinners. So if you trust him as your rock, you will never be forsaken. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The answer, for me. And for you. That's why Christ died. To protect us from the ultimate suffering that we deserve. Do you want to know if God cares about you? Do you want to know if God really loves you? Well, the Bible says God demonstrates His love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us. Does God care? Look at the cross. Look at the cross. He died for you. He cares for us more than we can imagine. You know, one of the things I think I've had to come to grips with in my life, I'm only 32, I haven't lived, I'm hoping to maybe get another two-thirds in, I don't know how long it's going to go for. Um, but I think one of the things I've had to learn is that I'm actually not to judge whether or not God loves me based on the circumstances of my life, as hard as that is. Sometimes the circumstances of my life completely overwhelm me, and I think, God, if you had have stopped that, or if you had have given me that, then I'll be sure that you actually do really care about me, that you really do love me. The Bible is actually saying actually don't just look at the circumstances of your life, look at the cross. Because when you look at the cross of Christ we actually see that God really does love him. He really does care for him. It stands as an assurance that God loves us because he's taken the ultimate suffering. And it actually means I think that we can trust him in the minor sufferings of our life Knowing that He is good to us by taking that ultimate suffering. It doesn't give us all the answers. Oh, you guys can ask me questions in a minute about these sorts of things. But I actually think it really does help. I think it helps me. It helps to know that God is there, that He's for me, even when life and the world seems against me. Uh, as I said at the start, I've kind of got a new kid. It's pretty cool. Uh, I've got three kids now. Beautiful, healthy children. God's been really kind to me. I actually think that being a dad has sort of taught me something about how God loves His children, His people. Um, in a small kind of way. I'll tell you this story. When, when I see my daughter Josie, she's four, she's very active. When I see her running around and she falls over, she hurts herself. She's, and she's suffering, she comes to me in tears. What do you think she needs at that moment? Do I, do I stand at a distance and, ex, and, and explain to her, Josie, uh, if you had have stepped up that step just a little bit further, then everything would have been okay. There's the reason she's suffering. Does she want answers at that moment? No, what she wants is for me to come over here and hold her, and say, Josie, I love you. And that sucks that you tripped over that step but I'm here for you and I want to protect you. And I think that's what we need at that moment, isn't it? When we suffer. We actually need to know that our Heavenly Father does really care for us. And friends, that's what the cross of Christ does for us. It stands there as an assurance that despite the circumstances of our life God really is there and He really does care. I'm going to pray uh, then I'm going to get you guys to just have a bit of a think think um, about some of those things and you can ask me some questions as well. Our Heavenly Father, we we do thank you that we can have at least one assurance in our life that you're a good God and that you love us, that you care for us. And that's because you gave us your son to die for us so that our ultimate suffering we be taken care of and we trust you. Father, I want to pray for people here who are just finding life really hard. Pray that they would know your love. Pray for those who don't know you yet, who don't believe the gospel yet. Father, would they see how much you really care for them, and they might trust you. Father, help us also to look after each other when we're suffering. Help us to be honest about when life's hard and when life's good and help us to really care for each other in the midst of our pain and in the midst of our joys. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.